Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. It is good to worship together in the name of the Lord. Welcome to all of you here in person and those of you joining us online. May you all have a safe and restful weekend. If you haven't met me, my name is Daniel Bunn, and I occasionally get to share here at Redeemer. Uh, I'm a full-time Old Testament professor at ORU. I'm often involved in Sunday school here, and as always, it is an honor to be able to preach on occasion. We are in week two of our Romans series, a 15-week journey through the letter to the Romans. Uh, If you have not yet picked one up, we have a study resource available for you outside in the lobby, a fantastic resource that includes contributions of members of the congregation, I think you will find it an enriching resource as we move through the letter to the Romans. Uh, Last week, Pastor Adam opened the series and sort of charted the course for us, outlined the direction uh, in which we're headed, and I have the privilege today of taking us into chapters 1 and 2 of Romans. So if you would like to open up to Romans chapter 1, I'll be reading verses uh, starting there, jumping eventually into chapter 2. Now, as we get started, it's important when you hear from Paul's letters that you remember something. He is not speaking to you. He's not speaking to us. He's speaking to a different group of people who spoke a different language in a different part of the world uh, thousands of years ago. Different people, different issues, different problems that they dealt with. And he opens his letter to the Romans, his first main section, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, by identifying for us readers the people he is addressing. He calls them the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He talks about people who knew God, they had experienced God's goodness, yet they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to God. They had willfully turned from God to detestable things, to abominations. Now, I don't know that Paul had this person in mind, but when I hear him talking, I imagine who he's addressing included whoever made what what will be on the screen here. You see that? Everyone see that up there? Can you tell what that is? You look closely. I know your mouth's starting to salivate, so it's hard to focus. That, my friends is a bologna cake with Miracle Whip icing. (laughs) Now, there was a person somewhere at some point sitting there watching TV and they thought, you know what sounds really good right now? And they invented this abomination. Um, I'm sure these are the people Paul is talking about. Whoever made this is included. He talks in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, about people who forsook the the creator for his creation. They knew God, they knew God's goodness, and yet they turned from it, they rejected it. He's not talking about us, he's talking about those people. Those people, Paul goes on to say, are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. 
They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. It's like they're playing a game of Ten Commandments bingo and everyone's winning. It reminds me of a well-known episode from the book of Exodus. Way back at the beginning of our Bible in Exodus, the people of Israel found themselves in bondage in the land of Egypt. And they cried out to God and God delivered them mightily. And as God was leading them to the land that he had promised them, he took Moses up on a mountain and started to instruct him on the ways the people should live when they come into the land that God was giving them. Now Moses was up on the mountain for a few days and the people down below, well, they just got bored. They got tired of waiting. They say, where is this Moses guy, whoever he is? For all we know, he's dead. You know what we need to do? We need to come up with our own God who can lead us now because we don't know what's, what's come of Moses. So they turned to Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. Aaron was the one who had stood with Moses and watched what, Moses, what God had done on behalf of the people of Israel. Aaron is the one who's been chosen as priest of God's people. And you know what Aaron does when he hears their request? He helps them. He very carefully gathers all the gold that they had brought with them from Egypt. He melts it down and then he sculpts it into the image of a golden calf so that they can worship it. Here, they've just experienced God's mighty act of deliverance, and so quickly, they're turning to something detestable. How on earth could they have experienced what they experienced and so quickly turn? It's preposterous. These are the sorts of people I think Paul has in mind when he's addressing this group of people in Romans chapter 1. These people, not us. He continues in Romans chapter 2 to talk about a different group of people. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. Now notice in this verse Paul has shifted his language from they to you. What Paul is doing in this verse is Whereas in chapter 1 he was addressing sort of this group of people out there that are obviously sinful, you know, those people, he now turns to this hypothetical person, this man standing next to him, and now he points the finger at him and he says, but you are no better because you are doing the same sorts of things that you judge those people for. He goes on to highlight in the following verses of chapter 2 that this hypothetical man standing next to him was judging these people perhaps because he thought that if he judged them, it would enable him to escape God's judgment. Maybe he thinks that if he critiques these people openly in public before God and everyone, then God will overlook the mistakes that they make. Perhaps he thinks that if he makes a big enough scene lambasting these people on social media for their illicit behavior, then God will overlook his own problems. Maybe he only practices his sins behind closed doors, whereas these people are just out in front of God and everyone acting in these ways, so he's 
better than they are. Isn't this guy frustrating? In some ways, he makes me more frustrated than the first group. At least they're confident in their sinfulness. He's hiding it behind closed doors and under deceit. So in Romans 2, these are now the people Paul is talking about. So at least he's still not talking about us. Now I want to read the main passage for today, Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Romans 2, 11 through 16. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Who is Paul talking about here in verses 11 through 16? He says twice, those who sin, all who sin, all who sin under the law, all who sin apart from the law. Well, which people fit into those two categories? You don't have to read far into the New Testament. In fact, if you look over at chapter 3 in Romans to see that for Paul, all people sin. All people fit into these two categories. I'm just really glad he's still not addressing us. What becomes apparent when you pull back and look at the larger section of Romans that goes from chapter 1 to chapter 3 is that Paul is leading us readers into a trap. He begins with low-hanging fruit in chapter 1. That group in Romans 1 he addresses, the audience would have all seen as obviously sinful. It's easy to stand in judgment of those. Then he moves a little closer to home by talking about those who are judging the Romans 1 crowd. And then here in these verses, he finally moves to all who sin, and not only in outer obvious ways, but even in the desires of their hearts, in the secrets they keep to themselves. If we have not yet found ourselves in Paul's address, then perhaps we aren't listening closely enough. God shows No favoritism, Paul says. In his time, many might have assumed that God showed the Jewish people favoritism over the Gentiles. The Jewish people had the law. Now, it's important to understand when we talk about the law. Many of us bring a lot of baggage to that word. For the Jewish people, this wasn't seen as a burden. It was seen as a gift. The law was God's light God's lamp for navigating the path that leads to life. Having the law was an advantage. Where others were wandering aimlessly in the dark, they had God's direction.
direction. The law was instruction. Have you ever tried to assemble a piece of furniture without or by ignoring the instructions? You often end up with a shelf that's just not quite straight and all sorts of extra hardware. Maybe something that looks like this. I think it would be good premarital counseling advice if all couples were required to assemble an Ikea desk together before they got married. It would probably save a lot of time and money down the road. The law was God's instruction. It helped them to know the way to go. But Paul says here that Gentiles who do not have the law in an outer sense can show that they have it written on their hearts when they actually do it. And by implication, when the Jewish people disobey or disregard the law, though they have it in an outer sense, show that they do not have it written on their hearts. In other words, possession of the law does not guarantee faithfulness. And God demands faithfulness. So God shows no favoritism, Paul says. All are held to the same standard. Those who commit outer obvious sins and those who even in the secrets of their hearts are turned from God, all are held to the same standard. Theologian Karl Barth puts it this way. God's judgment takes place with no respect of persons, which literally means in such a way that through every mask, God sees the real faces of men. In such a way that, God see, that through every mask, God sees the real faces of men. It's easy to judge the children of Israel worshiping their golden calf. They look so foolish, so short-sighted. At the heart of the gospel, Paul proclaims is that God looks even to the depths of our hearts. God sees even our wayward desires. When I think about that, I think of some words of Jesus from the gospel of Matthew. In a well-known text often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls attention to some of what we know as the Ten Commandments. He says, for instance, the command, do not murder. Everyone's heard of that. Now, if we're being honest, the command, do not murder, is not really one we struggle to keep every day on a daily basis. It's really not that hard not to murder people. But Jesus says, you've heard, it say, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say unto you, even if you've been angry with a brother or sister, you'll be subject to judgment. Have you ever been angry with a brother or sister? Paul in Romans, as we will see especially as we go on in the weeks ahead, is addressing a congregation that is warring within. One group, for instance, is saying that they should not eat certain types of food in accordance with the Old Testament instruction about clean versus unclean foods. So, for instance, they shouldn't eat shrimp. Another group is saying they can eat whatever they want because they are free in Christ. One group is pitted against another. Each group 
has created a task force for negotiating the impending denominational split. They're going to divide into two separate churches, the Church of Christian Freedom and the Church of Biblical Truth. The Church of Christian Freedom has gumbo shrimp cookouts every Sunday, and they advertise that they aren't caught up like some churches are with meaningless religious observances. The Church of Biblical Truth puts out flyers saying that unlike certain churches in the neighborhood, they care about God's word and they aren't swayed by cultural trends. Now, Paul will address this particular issue among others. And he will even share his own perspective on how this should be navigated. But what stands out to me time and again as I read through Romans is what Paul chooses to prioritize in the midst of this dissension. Paul doesn't focus in response to these people on being right. Paul focuses on being unified. He doesn't focus on being right. He focuses on being unified. He says in Romans 14, Welcome the one who is weak in faith, but not in order to argue about differences of opinion. Let's strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build each other up. Don't destroy what God has done because of food. Paul values unity in the body of Christ above all else. For Paul, the gospel goes much deeper than we are often inclined to imagine. The gospel is built on a much deeper understanding of human sinfulness. Sin is not just those outer intentional acts that we commit. It's even the desires of our hearts. Even sometimes when we think we are doing what is right, sometimes we do it for the wrong reasons. Sin has affected and infected us to our core. But just as sin is deeper, so are God's love and mercy. Now, perhaps one of the main goals of Romans 2 is to put us in our proper place. It's not just them, those people, those detestable people outside our doors, and us who are much farther along the path of righteousness. It's not a competition. It's the body of Christ. We cannot function as individuals. We are called to share in the body of Christ to which we all belong. We need one another for this journey. To go forward into the rest of this letter as we're going to do, We must be willing to see that the call of Christ to turn from sin and to receive God's mercy is a call for all of us, no matter how sinful or how righteous we might imagine ourselves to be. The challenge then might be, can we humbly recognize that this letter does address us after all? Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray.
Oh God, your goodness and your love know no end. Again and again we gather here on Sundays to be reminded of the mystery of your love for us. By the Holy Spirit, lead us out of sin and into the way that leads to life. And may we, above all, value the unity in the body of Christ to which we are called. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.